0: I hope today's talk. Um, I've got a lot of stuff. It's exciting. It's really exciting. It's not. It's not my talk. It's um, today. What I'm. I suppose since I was converted and I had I had a, a conversion at baptism of the Holy Spirit and I remember where it happened. It happened in my car. When I was driving to the beach. I had an encounter with God in my car, and I started praying in tongues. And. Uh, I thought that was pretty bizarre, but what happened was the more bizarre thing, I knew I encountered Christ because I had a conviction of sin, and I remember um, I went home to my parents and I said to them, what do I do, what do I do, I've had this encounter with, what do I do, and they said, at that stage, um, obviously no one here knew me, and I was far from the church, I was far away from God, I was brought up a Catholic, but far, very far away from God, I didn't like church, I thought it was boring thought it didn't make sense, didn't understand it. God was very distant. And then all of a sudden I had this encounter where the presence of God was very real. And I remember my, uh, my mum, and I'm going to tell you a story about my mum, she's a beautiful lady, uh, a little bit later. because um, But at that stage, I remember I knew I had an encounter with Christ because I had a conviction of sin. I didn't even know what sin was. But I remember mum and dad said, oh, i would go to confession. So I go into the confessional box as I went into the priest, I said, you know, I haven't been there for a number of years. He started to lead me through confession. And I came, this uh, grief came over my heart, like where my heart was felt like it was squeezed. And I had this conviction of I knew that i had offended God and I offended myself by what I've done. And so much so, the conviction was so strong, I knew I'd hurt a person and the person was God. It was a personal encounter again with the presence of God. I was 19, 18, or 19, and I remember tears welling up in my heart. Like, and uh, I wanted to get out of the confessional box because I was just going to lose it. And that's what I did. I got out. I got in my car, drove home, and I just bawled and bawled and bawled and bawled and bawled and wept and wept and wept and wept over my sin, how I offended Jesus. It was this like, um, and that's how I knew that I encountered Christ because before, up until that stage, I never knew I had a um, I knew something had happened to me, but I knew there was this conviction of sin. I knew what sin was, had an awareness of it, but I had this tremendous awareness of the love of God. In fact, the conviction of the sin was so bad, it was awful. It was horrible, but the love of God was so great, and I felt cleansed. So what I hope to do today, I'm going to give you this talk. It's from Raniro Cantalamessa. It's from his book, uh from a book he has, he has two books on sober intoxication of the Spirit. And uh, I just really want to recommend them to you. If you want to read that, what the, uh, part, all parts of the talk, I'm going to basically quote from him. And uh, he talks about uh, this intoxication of the Spirit that happened in the early church uh, up until the 4th century. And he talks about, basically in his book, he talks about what happened in renewal, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we've experienced, is recapturing what the Holy Spirit always intended to have in the church. And I hope it puts a hunger in your heart. And this is really exciting, this stuff. It's all based on the church fathers. It's based on, um, you know, what they were experiencing in the, basically in the fourth century of the church, where they were experiencing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where there was an inebriation in the Holy Spirit, where there was an intoxication of the presence of God. And the church fathers had this wonderful way to be able able to hold things in tension, the sacraments, the tradition, the word of God, the move of the Holy Spirit, suffering, the cross, healing. They moved in signs and wonders. They seen people raised from the dead, but at the same time they could embrace the cross. They understood how suffering worked, how holiness worked, in them, how holiness worked in our lives. They knew all these things. They they had this incredible um, way to hold these things in tension with the grace of the Holy Spirit and see the grace of the Holy Spirit moving through the church. So I'm just going to start basically from some of the parts of this book. Now, I've done some of this before. Some of you would have um, heard, but the difference is this time I'm going to give it a bit more of a where he talks a bit more um, of a Catholic setting. But just in starting, one thing is that um, I wanted, I'm going to read different parts from the book. But, you know, it's amazing what God has poured out on us. It's extraordinary. Jesus has poured out his fullness. Never before in the history of the world has God poured out the fullness of his spirit than he did at Pentecost. Even the church fathers say, even the popes say that, What what God pours out to us in the Holy Spirit is greater than what Adam and Eve lost. That's extraordinary. Adam and Eve had no suffering. They had these preternatural gifts where they, they were immune from suffering and sickness and death. But in Jesus, the fullness of the Holy Spirit came in Jesus. And because we're now in his church, in his body, the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes on us. That's what's available. It's extraordinary. And the fathers talk about this. They talk about this deification, this divinization, that when we, become, when we come to Christ, we're in Christ to the point where we become one with him. Our spirit is one with Christ. And Catherine in Siena has this famous statement where she has a vision of a soul that is in grace. And she's compelled to worship it unless the Lord told her not to. Because she couldn't tell the difference between a soul in grace and Christ himself. Because of the oneness of the Spirit. And this is what the church fathers are talking about when they're talking about this sober intoxication. It's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what's happened in our day, there's been an emphasis on what we've received through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Pope's saying. The the last three Popes are saying it's a hope for the church. Because this is how the church started. Right up until about the 4th century... About the 12th century, it started to move away from it. It got into all these different types of theology, and a lot of it got crushed. And the Holy Spirit's now breathing again on his church. And what these, the fathers do, when you read them, it's so exciting because you think how little we have. We've got nothing of what they were experiencing. So the church fathers had that ability to be able to hold this balance, and we'll go on from there. I'll just go on from there, but... Um, So I'll just read a a little quote from the catechism just before I start. It says, The church's mission is not an addition to that of Christ and the Holy Spirit, but it's its sacrament. Do you understand that? So the same anointing that was on Jesus is the same anointing that's on the church. So the church that we are is not different than the mission that Jesus had, but we make him present in us. The Holy Spirit completes the work of Christ, In us, through us, we're the sacrament of Christ. It's incredible. The fullness of God came on Christ, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of Christ comes on us. So I want to read a quote from Augustine and then we'll get into it. And Augustine says this. He says, Let us rejoice then and give thanks that we have become not only Christians, okay, but Christ himself. Whoa. Do you understand and grasp, brethren, God's grace towards us? Marvel and rejoice—we have become Christ's. For if He is the head and we are the members, He and we together are the whole man. You understand that? It's an extraordinary statement. It's an extraordinary statement. The fullness of Christ then is in the head and in the members. <laughs> but what does the head and members mean? Christ in the church, and this is what we're going to talk a bit about. I want to emphasize uh, this: what the church fathers talked about, this thing called sober intoxication. So they were aware of how the streams of grace came into the church through the sacraments, through the word of God, and this third way they talked about, the sober intoxication. And this is what Cantalamesa, where he picks it up, and he says this. In 1975, the day after Pentecost, at the close of the World Congress of Catholic Charismatic Renewal, Pope Paul VI delivered an address to 10,000 participants in St. Peter's Basilica. After reading his official address, the Pope spontaneously added. So he was addressing the charismatics and then he moved off his written thing and he read from his breviary and he quoted St. Ambrose, one of the church fathers, and he said this, In the 4th century there was a hymn by St. Ambrose that we read in the morning breviary There is a simple phrase that is difficult to translate. This is the Pope's words. And I'm not going to read the Latin, okay, because um, I didn't learn that at school. Sorry. I'm not going to read Latin. But it says this. It says, With joy let us drink the sober or temperance, the abundant outpouring of the Spirit or intoxication of the Spirit. He said this. He said this could be, this is what the Pope said, this could be the motto of your movement its plan as well as a description of the movement itself. Now, reniero Cantalamesa says this, the church has thus outlined a plan for us through the words of a chief pastor. We cannot ignore one of these words of these texts as we should seek to deepen our understanding of its meaning as a whole, especially the meaning of the Latin word referring to sober intoxication or intoxication of the spirit. Now, who knows what intoxication is? Drunk. drunk, yeah. It means drunk. That's what it means. That's, a, that's what I actually even looked it up and it does. That's what it means, drunk. The Pope indicated where he found this idea in the writings of St. Ambrose, one of the fathers of the church, that inexhaustible treasure house of living tradition of the church, I would like to lead you through that treasury of tradition to discover what the fathers of the church meant when they spoke of the sober intoxication of the spirit. Was this an idea of an isolated bishop or something more than that? In looking for the answer to the question, I made a surprising discovery. There was a time in the life of the church for about a century where all of Christendom was experiencing a spiritual intoxication an inebriation of the Holy Spirit. Several voices of choir of tradition help us understand the kind of intoxication the Pope meant in his address. And then he goes on to quote one of the other fathers. In 348, the Bishop of Jerusalem, Cyril, commenting on the words of Peter at Pentecost, he said this, These are not drunk, as you suppose, Acts 2.15. He said to the catechumens, They are not drunk in the way you might think. They are indeed drunk, but with a sober intoxication. And listen what it does, that coming of the Holy Spirit when he comes. Now, they're talking about, again, it's a yielding of the heart to the Holy Spirit. They talk about an intoxication of self when we yield our hearts to ourselves or an intoxication of the Spirit when we yield our heart to the Holy Spirit. When we start to drink from our life, Romans 8 says... We find death, not physical death, but spiritual death. When we start to yield our minds and our hearts to the Spirit, we start to be intoxicated with this ineffable joy of heaven. This is what they're saying. It's incredible. It's incredible. Now, reading this, I come under incredible conviction how little we have, and I'm so hungry for more of it, what God wants to do. This is in the fathers of the church. They talk about these streams they, they were able to hold. See, it wasn't just through the sacraments or through the word of God. It was actually through a life yielded, intoxicated with him. And then that worked out through the church. And that renewed, the Holy Spirit then renewed. He started to restore creation through the church. But he could only do it through his intoxication so we were filled with him. Otherwise, we give the world an intoxication of self. And there's no fire. There's no fruit. There's nothing. This is revival. This is what they were talking about. So, in Jerusalem, Cyril said, commenting on the words, "They're not drunk as you suppose." He said to the catechumens, "They are indeed drunk, but uh, they are indeed drunk, but with a sober intoxication." And I'll explain later what the word "sober" here. They always talk about sober intoxication or intoxication to sobriety. They use it two ways, which kills sin, gives life to the heart, which is the opposite of physical drunkenness. Drunkenness makes a person forget what he knows. This kind of drunkenness instead brings understanding of things that were not formerly known. It's extraordinary. So even the act of drinking alcohol is an intoxication to self. That's what it's saying. It's an intoxication but it leads to self. This is an intoxication that leads to God and it has the same effect similarly on the body which the fathers talk about. They use this image all the time, drunk. Sober, you know, blasted by, we say blasted by the Holy Spirit or whatever, they use other things. But they are in drunk, they are drunk insofar as they have drunk the wine of the mystical vine, which affirms, I am the vine and you are the branches. John 15, 5. The inebriation that comes from the Holy Spirit thus purifies sin, renews a heart in fervour, and enlightens a mind by a special knowledge of God, not a rational but an intuitive, experiential knowledge accompanied by inner joy. Amen? It's extraordinary. Now, a story about my mum. She's a lovely, beautiful lady. She's in heaven now. My mum and dad have both passed away. But uh, after my father passed away, late in their life, they were baptised in the Holy Spirit, both of them. And they actually led me to Christ. And uh, they prayed for me for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And my mum used to always be inebriated in the Holy Spirit a lot of times. She was drunk. She had that sort of disposition where she would even go to communion. I remember after Dad died at one stage, I was down visiting her. She was from the south coast. I remember one time at Mass visiting her and she went to communion and she couldn't even make it back to the seat because she'd come under this inebriation where she'd be full of the love of God. And there was many, sometimes, several times, late in her life, when I'd talk to her on the telephone, she'd ring me up and we'd talk about God. When I'd talk to her, the phone would go quiet and she was gone. <laughs> and then she'd come back, I'd go, where have you been? She goes, oh, I can't, oh, you know, it's, just, it's too much, you know, like the love of God. So she experienced this inner delight, this inner joy that the fathers spoke about, which many of us have experienced with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Reniero cantalamesa is talking about he's talking about this experience of inebriation now it doesn't have to be an inebriation we're not sort of trying to i'm not trying to say here we've all got to be drunk rolling around and those things but it's what it does it kills sin it gives life it vivifies the heart and it gives us a light of god a knowledge of god that's an intuitive knowledge there's experiential knowledge and it releases this inner joy of the presence of god it's supernatural It's above our nature. We're born of the Spirit. We're born of heaven. We're born of God. We have the nature of God coming in us. And by the nature of the Holy Spirit living in us, we cry, Abba. God's our Father. It's extraordinary what God's poured out in this uh, Holy Spirit. And the great thing with Cantalamesa, if you read his books, he talks about how it works with the charisms, how the sacraments work how ecumenical work in the church, all these things. It's it's held seeing a stream of grace. It's a stream of grace of the Holy Spirit. And as we move with him, we see him start to uh, revive and uh, do his work through us. So then he says, uh, from Jerusalem, let us go to Milan. The Pope used a verse from the hymn from St. Ambrose, but this is not the only time that the Bishop of Milan spoke of a sober intoxication of the Spirit. Preaching to neophytes, the new Christians, he said, every time you drink, you receive remission of sins and you become intoxicated with the Spirit. This this theme of drinking is comes up all the time. So again, this is what Joe did the other day. What do I have to do to drink? I have, it's an action. So uh, Ambrose is saying when you drink, so when you yield to him, what happens? You receive the remission of sins. This is what happened to me when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. As I yielded, I come under conviction of sin. Now let's look what it does. You, you have the remission of sins and you become intoxicated with the Spirit. It is in this sense that the apostle said, do not get drunk with wine. This is the scripture you'll see they use all the time. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. He who becomes intoxicated with wine staggers, but he who becomes intoxicated with the Holy Spirit is rooted in Christ. See, it translates you out of one kingdom into Christ's kingdom, and you start to experience the life of heaven. Heaven is in your soul. It's amazing. It's a taste, a seal of what we're going to receive. It's awesome. It is amazing. It's an intoxication where your heart is attracted to God because he created you for himself. He created you for that we could know him and know his love. Every one of us are created with this Ability to know God, to experience his love and his life. That's what we were created. That's in our DNA. There's a crying, there's a longing in our heart for God. And this intoxication is the first process as we start to experience the love of God. So he says, he who becomes intoxicated with wine staggers, but he who becomes intoxicated with the Holy Spirit is rooted in Christ. And he says this, how truly excellent is this intoxication which produces sobriety of the soul. Now, the word sobriety there, or sober, intoxication, or intoxication to sobriety, basically it means holiness. So when you experience an intoxication of God coming into you, you become like him. So what was lost at the fall? We lost the likeness of God. We're made in the image and likeness of God. We lost original holiness and justice. What the Holy Spirit restored in Christ was the glory of God now came into man and we were restored to the likeness of God? Remember, Jesus said in Romans 8, it says that we're conformed to the likeness of the Son. So God restores what was lost, even in greater measure, because now it's in Christ and we become, truly become, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not a theological thing, it's an experience. Of an organic union with the presence of God. It's incredible. It's amazing. This is what they say. So, the Christians in Milan had the same experiences, the same experience as those in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit, when received in the sacraments and especially in the Eucharist, gives the soul a kind of intoxication that has nothing disordered and superficial about it. Rather, this intoxication takes the soul beyond its normal experience. Beyond its poverty and powerlessness, into a state of grace where there's no room for doubt, self regret, self absorption, but only joy and thanksgiving. Isn't that incredible? The Holy Spirit frees us from ourselves so that we can come into the life of a union with God. It's amazing. It's, it makes me very hungry. I'm ready to drink, 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 drink. This is what Ambrose says. Anyway, that's at the end of the talk. <laughs> okay, another voice from tradition, Augustine, counsels the Christians, newly baptized on Easter. The Holy Spirit has come, and this is from his quote. It says, the Holy Spirit has come to abide in you. Do not make him withdraw. Do not exclude him from your heart in any way. He is a good guest. So he's encouraging the new Christians, baptized, to um, welcome the Holy Spirit. Now, just a sidetrack, I'm going to sidetrack because there's so much in some of these things. But there was this thing called uh, mystagogical uh, catechesis. And uh, it was what it was they used to teach the newly baptized. Uh, they weren't Christian, they were already converted because they came out of paganism, they were converted. They'd take them on this course for about six weeks, a bishop, and teach them about what was going to happen to their soul. And then when they'd get baptized, they'd be so overwhelmed by the love of God or they'd be baptized in what we'd say, the Holy Spirit. Then after that, there'd be another six weeks where they'd teach them this mystagogical teaching and the bishops would basically explain to them how they became deified, how they they shared in the, the same nature as Christ. This uncreated nature of God, they were sharing in it, and and you know Peter says um, they drank so much like milk or something in one Peter. It says um, they quote that text. It's like they were overwhelmed with the love of God, and they teach them. They had to teach them what happened to them, which is a lot different than what happens today because of um, it's a different time, and we're not. We're baptism's different today than it was then. So the Holy Spirit has come, this is what Augustine said, to abide in you. Do not make him withdraw. Do not exclude him from your heart in any way. He's a good guest. He found you empty and he filled you. He found you hungry and he satisfied you. He found you thirsty and he intoxicated you. See, thirst, they were thirsty, they drank from him, he intoxicated them. May you, and this is what he says, may he truly intoxicate you. The Apostle said, again the scripture from Ephesians 5, Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Then as if to clarify what we should be intoxicated with, he said, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Uh, Ephesians 5.18, and he says this, Augustine, he says, doesn't a person who rejoices in the Lord and sings to him exuberantly seem like a person who is drunk? And he says this, I like this kind of intoxication. The spirit of God is both drink and light. That's what he says. Now, uh puts a commentary on this and he said, Augustine asked himself why scripture has used such a daring image as intoxication. He concluded that it is because only the state of a man who is drunk so much as to lose his mind can give us an idea, even though is it, a, even though it is a negative one of what happens to the human mind when it receives the ineffable joy of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear that? When when we start to receive ineffable, does anyone know what ineffable means? Any of the indescribable yet, no words for it. So when we start, because God is, is, uh, God is so other than us, he is infinite and we're not, when we start to receive the joy that's in him, we explode. We can't contain it. It's ineffable. We can't put words to it. We, we, uh, we taste something. He says this, he says, we receive the ineffable joy of the Holy Spirit. The mind recedes, the mind recedes and becomes divine. We start to be led by what Paul says, the Holy Spirit. We're not led by reason now. Our spirit's yielded to God and we start to be led, as St. Paul says, by the Holy Spirit. And he talks about this in detail, which I probably won't be able to get into. I'm sort of just hitting some of the high tide parts he said, "The mind recedes and becomes divine, becoming intoxicated with the abundance in the house of God, tasting something of the goodness that is to come in the heavenly Jerusalem. When spiritually intoxicated, a person is out of his not mind, not because he is bereaved of reason, as in the case of wine or drugs, but because he p- passes beyond reason into the light of God. So it's too too much to contain. Is it amazing?" Yeah, yeah, or not? Shakaraba. <laughs> it's amazing. It is amazing. It's just—it's so much. So one of the things when I was when I after I'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit, one of the things that I really—it's um, been a bit of a pursuit of my heart. I, I and I, and not unben. Well, I don't know why because I'm not a scholarly person or a learned person, but I've always wanted to know where my experience fitted into the structure of the church, both theologically and historically. And when you start to read the church fathers, it was always there this, this, uh, in the church. When you see how they functioned and how they moved with God, it was always there. And that's sort of one of the passions why I'm sort of reading some of these things from them. These quotes, he says, from tradition are enough to give us an idea of an understanding of the Christian life at that time. Notice that the remarks did not apply to to the life of a privileged few, the mystics, but applied to all baptized believers. And they, even when they they they, they talked this mystagogical uh, catechesis, it was to everybody that what that they were experiencing. Uh, it applied to all believers. The remarks were normally made to, he says, catechumens and neophytes, so new Christians. We are clearly dealing with a charismatic Christianity in which people, people fervently believe, along with all the New Testament, that, the, that grace is a beginning of glory and makes possible even now a kind of direct experience with God. And then he says this, it's great. The pastors of the church, far from being afraid of this enthusiasm, now, Brian Wise taught me about this word and the fathers talk about this word, enthusiasm. It's a Greek word and it's enthizos, yeah? And it means filled with God. It's not an emotional thing. It's actually what it means. It means to be filled with the presence of God. And they, you see it come up in their writings. The fathers, uh, far, far from afraid of this enthusiasm and trying to rein it in, nourished it and became its promoters and its pastoral guide. Historians generally call this the golden age of of church history but they do not seem to wonder where the extraordinary flowering of genius in the church came from. That is, the magnificent doctrines and writings of the fathers, the incomparable ability to spiritually read the scriptures so as to draw out nourishing food for the whole life of the whole people of God. All of this happened because the Holy Spirit flowed freely in the church. Required procedures, the channels of grace had not yet been rigidly institutionalized by human treaties, laws, canons. The confidence in the church was not in the efficiency of, of its organization in being a perfect society, but in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst. That's what he says. It's amazing. It's beautiful. The church was a spiritual society animated by the Holy Spirit. When Pope Paul VI proposed the idea of a sober intoxication, the highest leader of the church was asking us this is what Chris said from the present pope, as well as all Christians to revive the experience of a spiritual enthusiasm in today's Christianity similar to that which made the fourth century the golden age of church history. Amen. Now, I'm just going to go on. I've just got these topics, I've pulled it out of the book. That's the first, that was basically the first chapter. He has different chapters. I'm just going to talk briefly um, about this term, intoxication to sobriety. Now, it's basically what it is. Uh, It's a cyclical pattern that they talk about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit intoxicates you and fills you with his life, it leads to holiness. And then what happens? When you pursue God in that holiness... What, is, what does he do again? He pours out more. So there's a scripture that you see that in John, I think it's John 1.16. It says, out of the fullness, out of his fullness, so out of the fullness of Christ, he gives you grace for grace. And what they say is the grace is out of the fullness of God, as you come to God, you start to receive his Holy Spirit moving in your soul. As you start to respond to that, as your will starts to align with the will of God, he pours more grace. So as you respond out of the fullness of God that's on Christ, remember, he's the fullness, we're his body, we've got fullness. The fullness of God is available for us. But as the will comes in line with the will of God, God pours out his spirit. Otherwise, if our will doesn't, it doesn't. And this is what they're addressing. They're addressing. And they talk about we get caught in concepts. We get caught in channels of grace. But the heart doesn't drink. It doesn't drink. It's an intoxication where the heart, because of the fallen nature of man, the heart yields to itself and it's intoxicated to itself. And they're talking about these choices that we make, that as we make choices to yield to the Holy Spirit, we start to be intoxicated with the life of heaven. And it's not a, it's an incredible, powerful Christianity. And it's only that Christianity that they say that can renew the face of the earth. So they talk about this intoxication to sobriety. Now, because of time, I'm just going to read one part of what they do here. And this is how, this is how um, Cantalamesa says, Jesus taught his disciples. He calls it the second path from intoxication to sobriety was the way that Jesus made his apostles follow. Even though they had Jesus as their teacher and spiritual director, that would have been good, wouldn't it? They were not before Pentecost in a position to practice the gospel precepts. Hear that? You can have Jesus here preaching. Doesn't do anything. Well, it would, but, but we've got to receive him. Remember Jesus said to, his, uh, he said to the Pharisees, he goes, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you find eternal life, but you refuse to come to me and have life. See, they got caught in the concept. They were studying the scriptures, they were doing the things, but they refuse to come and have the heart renewed. They refuse to be intoxicated with the life of God. So this is what he's saying here. So he says, uh, he, even though he had, they had Jesus as their teacher and spiritual director, Uh, They were not before Pentecost in a position to put into practice any of the gospel precepts. But when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, then we see the transformation, see them transformed and able to undergo all kinds of hardships for Christ, including martyrdom. The Holy Spirit was the cause of their fervor rather than the effect of their fervor. Now, this is where the, the fathers talk about people get caught in doing things for God. But the end result is never God. So it's a a fervor. They try to do things to earn God. But he's talking about now there's an intoxication that leads you to fervor. that give your heart more to God. And you start to move out of that. So he says there's another... um, uh, The Holy Spirit was the cause of their fervor rather than the effect of it. There is another motive that impels us to rediscover the path from intoxication to sobriety. The Christian life is not only the issue of growing in personal holiness, it's ministry and proclamation. Remember, I said the church is Christ's sacrament. Jesus wants us to proclaim his gospel in power. And that's why we need the intoxication of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit wants to complete the work of Christ through his church. That's how it happens. No other way does it happen. He's not just going to do it, he does it through his people. So the Holy Spirit completes the work of Christ through his people. And that's why there's this uh, image again they use of intoxication to sobriety. To accomplish these tasks, we need power from on high, or a word, a strong, he says, a strong Pentecostal uh, experience. Um, and I won't read this really good some some good stuff but I won't read it. Okay, the third heading that I'm just going to address is this that the fathers talked about the penetrating reign of the spirit. And Cantelme says this, where are the places today that the spirit the spirit where are the places that the spirit acts today in this Pentecostal way? St Ambrose exhorted us earlier with the words drink, drink, drink. But where do we find this water? Speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believe in him would receive, Jesus proclaimed one day, and that day is today. It's not coming. Jesus proclaimed one day, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And let anyone who believes in me drink. So the injunction or whatever it is, what are we drinking from? This is what this is what I'm convicted of myself. What what am I what am I drinking today? What am I yielding my life to today? Because the fullness of God's here, you know, or is it the fullness of myself that I drink from? And it it doesn't do anything in the context of the kingdom. But where do we find this water? He said. Uh, he said. Jesus said. Let anyone who comes to me and drink. And Kendall Amessa says this, but where is Jesus now? Where can we find him now that he is risen and left the earth? Where can we find the answer? We can find the answer, he says, in the very uh, same church fathers. He talks about Ambrose here, who was a cantor par excellence of the sober intoxication of the spirit. After discussing two classical places, so to speak, in which one could receive the spirit, the intoxication of the cup of salvation and the intoxication that comes from the superabundant richness of the scriptures. So he talks about the two ways, the sacramental way through the sacraments, and he talks about the abundance that comes through the word of God. So remember I told you the story of my mum? She'd go to communion and nearly fall over. So that's a way to be intoxicated. But he's, Ambrose here is addressing a third way, and this is interesting for us because it's the move of the Holy Spirit. Ambrose hints at a third possibility. There is also another intoxication which operates by means of the penetrating rain of the Holy Spirit. Such was the case in Acts of the Apostles when those who spoke in different languages seemed to their hearers as though they were full of wine. After noting the ordinary way of being intoxicated by the Spirit, Ambrose, and Ambrose adds an extraordinary way, extraordinary in the sense that it is not predetermined or instituted that consists in reviving the experience the apostles had on the day of Pentecost. It doesn't come through an institution. It comes through what you're drinking. It comes through where you're yielding your heart. It attracts the presence of God. It's a choice. This is what he's saying. It's not instituted. It comes from a heart yielding, a heart thirsty, a heart wanting to drink. So he hints at this third possibility, and he tells his audience this. Um, It revives what happened on the day of Pentecost. Ambrose, um, Kendall Amessa says this. He obviously did not add this third possibility to tell his audience that it was not for them, but had been reserved only for the apostles and the first generation of Christians. On the contrary... He intended to inspire the faithful to have the experience of the penetrating reign of the Spirit that occurred at Pentecost. The Second Vatican Council spoke from the same perspective when it declared, it is not only through the sacraments and the ministration of the church that the Holy Spirit makes makes holy the people. He also distributes special graces among the faithful of every rank. The possibility of having the Spirit in this new personal way, which depends solely on God's sovereign and free initiative, is therefore open to everybody. It's here. That's exciting. It's here. And he says this. This is from Kent Mess's words. And woe to us if we fall into the equivocation. I don't know what that word means. Someone can tell me. Equivocation of the Pharisees and scribes of Jesus' time. There are six days for work they objected to Jesus, so why heal and do miracles on the Sabbath? Luke thirteen fourteen. We could be tempted to say, there are seven sacraments to sanctify and to give the Spirit, so why go beyond this for a new and unfamiliar way? And he says, Kendall, I, must say this, I ask myself sometimes, what would happen if the word spread one day, there was a place where what happened at Pentecost was happening again With the same phenomena. That upper room was open again and a mighty wind was moving again and shaking the house. That everyone returned from this place transformed with a new fervour and a love for God and his church. Wouldn't there be a steady stream and a procession to that place? That's what he asked the question. And then he says, this in my words, Well, we know that countless millions have experienced the upper room. And there is still such a room that is still open. That's the reality. In the catechism, it talks about the church is a permanent Pentecost. It doesn't open and shut. It's been poured out. The last breath of Jesus was the first breath of the church, the breath of God. Again, it's the intoxication. There is now no impediment for us to receive the Holy Spirit. There were three walls of separation between the Holy Spirit and us nature, our nature, sin, and death. Jesus tore down the first wall when he he united within himself the divine nature and the human nature. Jesus became all that we are in order that we can become all that he is. It's extraordinary. He destroyed it in the first nature, the spirit and the flesh, in the incarnation. He tore down the second wall when he died on the cross in expiation for our sins and the sins of the world. He tore down the third wall when he was raised from the dead. There's now no impediment for us to receive the Holy Spirit. In conclusion, and I'll just conclude here, in hearing the Pope's Paul VI call to revive the experience of a sober intoxication, the challenge for us is, are we going to respond to the invitation? It's a challenge. It's a challenge for me when I read it because I know how little I have. The church is a permanent Pentecost. Where are the obstacles in our lives that prevent us from responding to this call? And how can the life of God flow through me more fully? Pope Paul VI mentioned that this theme, uh, Let Us Drink the Sober Intoxication of the Spirit with Joy, He said this, and this is really challenging when I was reading it. This could be the motto for your movement, its plan as well as its description. And then I asked myself this question, and I'll put this in. Is this a plan as well as a description for my life? Is the Holy Spirit the protagonist in my life? Now, the protagonist is a central character of a play. So is the Holy Spirit the central character in my life or is myself the protagonist? Am I intoxicated with him or am I intoxicated with myself? These are the things that I asked myself as I was putting it together. All Jesus asked of us, as it says in, um, in John, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. All Jesus asks of us is this, uh, will we come to him and drink? And as St. Ambrose exalted us earlier with the words, drink, drink, drink. That's what the challenge for us is in receiving the invitation. Where are we drinking? What are we drinking from? What are we being filled with? What are we allowing our lives to be filled with? It's an incredible challenging um, uh, word that they put out to us, the fathers of the church, to be able to be filled with this ineffable joy of the love of God. And again, the thing that strikes me is that the fullness of God was on Christ, and He is ahead of His church. So the fullness of His Spirit is in His church, and He's waiting for us to respond to Him, to open our hearts to Him, to be filled with His presence because he wants to restore his glory in us, in the church, and then he wants to restore all of creation through us. Amen.